Welcome to Reimagining Schools, a podcast from the Edupreneur Academy. Today, Renee Porter is joining us. She helped found the Crystal Ray School in Oklahoma City, and we're excited to have her on to hear a little bit about her experience and how she got involved with becoming an entrepreneur. Hi, Renee. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Good, cool. Well, I um, got to meet you not too long ago. We kind of got to connect and I had heard about you and some of the work that you had done with Krista Ray. So I really was interested in kind of hearing your story and a little bit more about you. So I would love for you to just start with that and tell us a little bit about how your background and how you got into education and then how you got sucked into the whole world of starting, helping to start a school. Um, Oh gosh, this, this may be, a, we may, we may That's be here. That's great. <laughs> start from the beginning, your story. Yeah. I love hearing the, the origin stories. <laughs> well, I was going to say they're always funny because, um, you know, as you visit with people and you learn more about them, it always seems like, uh, where you start is never where you end up. Right. And I think, I think I'm a perfect example of that as well. Um, this was not a, uh, founding a school, launching a school, starting a school, um, was never anything that I, thought about and said very, in, like very intentionally, like, this is a goal. I'm going to start out and I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I will back up to say, um, my background and experience was, um, undergraduate degree journalism. I did some work in Washington, DC in politics, had a political appointment, worked at USA today for five years. Um, that was all East coast, um, but grew up here. So I eventually moved back, worked for a private company, did federal contracting, um, Uh, led that company as well, um, and then ended up founded a nonprofit, co-founded a nonprofit that is about, the mission of the nonprofit is about helping low-income Oklahomans. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is structured as a community development corporation, and it is a nonprofit. That work, as we founded that, and that would have been 2011, as we contemplated around our mission areas on what we could do, what we can do within that context, was we viewed it as a board to say um, foundationally that if we can make an impact in the education space, that the opportunities for people to be, generally speaking, positively impacted around economic development, around the ability to get and hold a job, to have sustainability around that, to create ideally wealth long-term, to have housing, uh, you know, more afford, you know, be able to afford um, better and more quality housing. And then certainly there are direct correlations as well to health outcomes um, for people as well when they go up and they are um, have the ability to um, create, have earn a more sustainable wage. So that created an opportunity within the education space. Again, that was really like, still it was um, uh, unclear in terms of how that would all end up coming together. So my personal experience then was um, my daughter, uh, I have one child, my daughter was um, attended a private school in Norman mm-hmm. and I was on the board, chairing the board of our um advisory council board that we had and something came across and came through and somebody said, Oh, superintendent, send this to us. And um, it's a bill up at the state Capitol. And it's uh, apparently would be very beneficial for our schools. Um, we don't know any more about it, but this is all we know. It's like, okay. So I had offered 
to grab the bill. I said, let me, if everybody's agreeable, I will contact tomorrow, Friday, and I will find out more about it for all we know, the way things go um, up at the Capitol and making, you know, laws is that this thing is not even viable anymore. So we'll find out. And then I'll email everybody, let everybody know what that looks like. Um, I did that had a lengthy conversation with the person who worked for the author of the bill. And by the time I got off the phone that Friday afternoon, um, inquiring about the bill, I was asked if I would testify the following Tuesday before the House Appropriations and Budget Committee in support of the bill. And the bill was really around um, education savings accounts for Oklahoma. So this was like 20, this must have been, I think, 24. 14, maybe. Okay. Yeah. Maybe somewhere in there. Um, I can't remember if it was 14 or 15. Um, well, the interesting part, and, and again, I had been around policy cause I had worked on the Hill. Um, yeah. when I was in Washington, DC, that was part of my experience as a congressional fellow. And, um, the part that was heartbreaking, I guess would be the word that I would use to me was, um, the bill did come up and to, um, get it hopefully out of committee, out of that committee, was the bill was um, reworked to make it eligible so that students who were uh, qualified for free reduced lunch and Mm -hmm. attended needs improvement schools in the state of Oklahoma were Mm -hmm. those who would be eligible to receive these state funds that then would allow them to be able to have flexibility to go and attend a school other than the public school to which they were, they are zoned by virtue of where they live. Right. Um, The bill resoundingly did not pass out of committee. And the part that I walked out with that struck me was a couple of things. First of all, people who are of limited means who have, um, you know, not the ability to hire a lobbyist have no idea that that kind of bill policymaking an opportunity existed even for them to create an option and an opportunity for them to be able to explore something different for their kiddo. Um, That was one. Um, The other one was that legislators voted quite frankly to leave poor kids in crappy schools bluntly. Um, And that was overwhelming to me to think about the, the, the ability to make, you know, to choose that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I walked out in the parking lot and I just thought, there's no way there is no way. I mean, it sounds sort of wacky and that kind of seminal. I was actually reached out the next morning. I was um, had an email from somebody who said, I heard your testimony and um, I didn't know that testimony was um, broadcast and people could hear it. I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't know they did that. But um, uh, somebody said, I heard your testimony and I would really like to visit with you uh, and talk to you more about um, being involved in terms of school choice. And I don't even think at that point in time that, that I necessarily for myself thought about um something other than what there was like that people actually were in a very dedicated fashion working to kind to create options and look at alternatives right for families and kids I don't it just never kind of raised itself to my own level of consciousness so anyway uh springing forward um I had the opportunity then to be funded with a startup grant to um, really lay the foundation to engage parents around 
uh, understanding more, sharing information mm-hmm. specifically with parents and guardians around um, what's available. If that public and public school may be absolutely perfect in meeting the needs, and if sure. it is, that is the ultimate goal. That right. is an absolute outstanding, the best yeah. ever. But if it is not, um, what else is available to you? And again, particularly the mission of the work that we're doing is around low-income Oklahomans. So right. if you cannot afford to just say, gosh, let's just go move to this other school district because the schools are so much better and we'll go find a house and we'll move and, you know, new hookups and utility costs and whatever to do. Right. Just, it's a barrier. You can't, it's just not realistic mm-hmm. um, for so many. Yeah. And um, so the work really became around um, digging in, creating a deep dive into understanding what the marketplace of schools looks like in Oklahoma, and then sharing that information. Um, One of the most interesting outcomes um, of the work was, uh, I said, if I said it once, I said it uh, probably a million and a half times, was um, charter schools are public schools and they're free to attend. Yes. That was probably one of the most striking things that came out of the work visiting with parents, Mm -hmm. Um, because as you begin to describe or parents share stories, and this is where my kiddo's at, and this is what we're experiencing, and this is how, you know, blah, 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 and they go in um, and are so free and so willing to share information with you in the effort truly to get down to, we need help. And we were looking for something different. Um, I had so many parents who would say to me, over and over again, oh, we can't, you know, like, what about X, Y, and Z charter school? You know, something on, I'm in Oklahoma City, our offices were in Oklahoma City. So, you know, whether it was, um, you know, Dove Science Academy or whatever it is, and they would go, oh, we can't afford to go there. And that's (laughs) charter schools and they're free to attend. And I got to the point, I heard it so consistently that I was like, why do you think, why do you think that you cannot attend like that there that there's there's a fee there's a tuition associated with it and I had a number of parents reply to me because there's an application Mm, yeah that makes sense wow how you know and so then you know you're trying to explain charter law which is I know but if there's more applications (laughs) then there are seats in a class and you know um lotteries and open you know that kind of thing so anyway very very interesting um outcome of that work so springboarding forward to what we were really, you know, how you started, which is Krista Ray. So that really, all of that as a background moved what I was doing, left the work I was doing in terms of federal contracting um, for a privately held company and moved over to the nonprofit then full-time. And in doing so, um, and engaging with parents and talking to them about options. I, of course, was always repeatedly asked about what are you hearing? What a family's asking for? What a family's need? What kind of need, what kind of, what kind of solution do we need to have to meet a need for families? And I kept saying, because charter schools, there's a wait list as long as you're on. So those are great and they are a free option, but there's also an incredible wait list for our charter schools in Oklahoma. Sure. So it was like, well, we need more quality seats for low-income kids. I don't know what that is. We need to start more schools. We need to do whatever, but there need to be more quality seats for families who can't move and don't have that flexibility. Mm -hmm. And somebody says to me, well, you know what we should do? We should just start a Christo Ray school. My reply to that was, 
I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking. I did never heard of that. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Um, before long, I had um, was presented with background information on Krista Ray, um, what the model looks like. And um, before long, there were, I was one of four people who went up to Chicago uh, shortly thereafter, pretty quickly, because there actually, unbeknownst to me, had been some foundational work around um, exploring the option to have a Krista Ray school here in Oklahoma City. And um, so four of us went up. Chicago is where the original school was. It is where the office for the Krista Ray Network is located, is in Chicago. Um, and that is uh, the body that oversees all of the Krista Ray schools and their fidelity across the United States. Um, so we went up to Chicago and that work was uh, to kick off a feasibility study, a year-long feasibility study to see if... Oklahoma City was a good fit for a Christy Ray school. Um, um, yeah, it's a good process. Yeah, so very, they have a very um, specific, very systematic process around four primary tenant areas that have to be explored um, mm -hmm. for a location in a city. And those for Christy Ray are um, naturally the, the age old issue with starting any school is building facility, mm -hmm. you know, where, where will the school be located, um, right. particularly located where it will serve the students for whom the mission of Krista Ray is. Um, mm -hmm. And the second piece was going to be um, around a community engagement piece. And that was um, threefold, actually, it was students, mm -hmm. would students come to a school that had such a unique model. And I'll touch on that really quickly, what that is. Yeah. Um, families as well, would families be interested in having their student attend at Krista Ray School? And then finally, like community leaders, stakeholders, influencers within that community also, um, what are their thoughts about it? The third and fourth areas that were explored in the feasibility study um, is the jobs aspect. Every student at Krista Ray goes to work five days out of the month um, okay. to, help to earn their way to success and help to underwrite their intuition through that work effort for all four years of high school. And then finally, a fundraising aspect, because as mm -hmm. we know, you know, a launch of a school um, before the tuition in the Crystal Ray model that produces some income uh, through the work study program begins to really generate and starts to create some cash flow for the school. Obviously there's a tremendous need to, um, underwrite, uh, mm -hmm. the founding of the school from a financial perspective as well. So those were the four tenant areas. I actually chaired the community engagement, uh, okay. that was part of the feasibility work as well. Yeah, and you mentioned it, but I'd love for just to share with our listeners that may not know about the Krista Ray model, just a little bit about what their mission is and what kind of school, what, what is the school about? Yep. So Krista Ray was founded, oh, I bet you now it's been, um, I've lost track of the year, but um, probably about 25 years ago, if I was going to hazard a guess at this point. Um, the model is around uh, exclusively serving students of limited means mm -hmm. to offer to them a private Catholic college preparatory high school um, education. Okay. And so then because this exclusively is serving a student of limited means, then it begs the question, then how does a family, how does it become affordable for a family? Right. That then ties back in that corporate work study program. So the okay. model for Krista Ray, as I mentioned very briefly, is that every single student 
um, whether they're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, goes to work one day a week and one Friday a month. So that's the five days out of the month. Um, they are partnered with a professional business uh, where they go to work. And when they go to work, they go to work all day. So hmm. you or I, Aaron, would be maybe we're assigned a specific day yeah. a week, like you and I are both loves um, travel stops headquartered here in Oklahoma city, um, was a tremendous supporter and mm-hmm. corporate work study partner since year one, um, as well as in a number of other ways. Um, but you or I may go to loves every, um, every week. That's where we're assigned. Right. When it's assigned, they're assigned for the entire year to that work study partner. I may be the Monday worker. So every mm-hmm. Monday I'm going to loves, you may be Tuesday, somebody would be Wednesday, Thursday, and then one of us is going to rotate through one Friday out of the month. Um, but when we go, we may work in the same department, we may float around depending on the needs of the employer. Um, but that student is a student worker who is there to contribute in the way that every other employee uh, does who works at loves. Um, That's and so fantastic. They, yeah, yeah I love that model. Amazing. And then so everything the student earns is assigned back to the school on their behalf. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, they help to underwrite and earn their way to success through their own efforts um, at that corporate work study partner and through the work. And then, yeah, you extend it on to thinking about what that does for a student in terms of um, exploring interests and careers. Yeah. At careers, having the opportunity firsthand as such a formidable young person, right? Being 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 to begin um, every year. Usually, students are reassigned to a different employer, a different um, career or industry. So they have the opportunity to begin to really look at, you know, we've had students, the, the beauty of it is you can have a student who lights up and says, Oh my gosh, I'd never thought about healthcare. Um, and now that's what I want to do. And the yeah. same student who says, I worked in a healthcare setting or I worked. Not want to do that. Right. Knocking that off the list. Because yeah, but that's, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's what a great way powerful. to. Yeah, exactly. What a great way to find that out early. I feel like, you know, a lot of, including myself realize that during college, right? When you're kind of changing your major and switching from this one to that one, and that can really set you back, you know, by the time you're, you know, in your twenties and college trying to figure things out, if you haven't thought through some of those things. So that's, yeah, that's another incredible opportunity for getting kids involved young with um, businesses like that. I'm wondering, since it was like a low socioeconomic um, market of students, did you guys face challenges around helping those students get to those locations for the businesses? At all? Yes. yes. So because it's a private school, interestingly, um, transportation is not offered. However, I can I can share with you that we didn't have a family who transportation was a barrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, so families got there or they figured it out and carpooled and those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, regarding the work study program, yes, the school transports students to and from the location. Um, okay. The so yeah, there's a you think about the logistics of um, managing and operating a school anyway. And then you layer on a corporate work study program and you're moving students around a city and around a community. And every day Um, we opened with 128 freshmen. That was all, that was how many we had admitted when we That's a good size group. Yeah. To start with. Very, 
good number of um, students, a big school. Um, mm-hmm. That's a lot by the time. And we only opened the Crystal Ray model as is with so many school startups, of course, so that you're scalable and manageable is we yeah. started only with freshman class. Okay. Yeah. I wondered that if you just started with ninth grade and then just let those kids work their way through. Yeah, exactly. So that was um, the 18, I got to think 1819 academic <laughs> year. Uh-huh. And so the students um, it's kind of lovely to be talking right now. The students are seniors and mm-hmm. a couple of weeks away from graduation. So How cool. Yeah. It's, it's always so great when you get that first group of students through graduation. That's neat. And you're already kind of starting to touch on it. So I'd love to just have you share more about what some of the early challenges were in starting the school. Because I know that you mentioned that you know, obviously you were thinking about all these things. It sounds like Crystal Ray had kind of a layout of facilities and locations. But when I'm often working with other educators that are thinking about starting a school, these are some of the things they're facing. And I'm sure you did too with like what kinds of locations are available. Can we use a church space or, you know, other facilities and then, um, you know, all those school operations pieces too. So if you can just kind of think back to any challenges you guys had and maybe how you overcame those. Mm-hmm. Sure. I like the way it sounds like any challenges. It was like, where do I start? Those like, opportunities. <laughs> yes, exactly. But the list is so long. Yeah. Um, so you're absolutely correct to say, you know, the the beauty of um, the Crystal Ray Network is that they uh, have a team of people who work through and with, it is a very systematic, they have done it. We were Oklahoma City is school 33. I don't know how many there are today, quite frankly, yeah. um, but Oklahoma City was school 33. So you think about. Um, They've done it a few times. Yeah. <laughs> I've done it a few times. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's lots of lessons learned. And then also sure. just kind of on a broader level with the Crystal Ray Network, the closest school to us, which had opened, I think, three years earlier was Crystal Ray Dallas. And okay. so just that proximity um, mm-hmm. and then the openness and willingness for folks who had also plowed ground that we were, you know, beginning to step on. Yeah. It was really, really, really helpful. I made more trips to Dallas to go see things in person and to go visit with folks and see students and, uh, you know, things that come through. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, I guess I'll back up kind of to touch on some of the things I mentioned, a year-long feasibility study and identifying, you know, key components to the school startup. Um, the areas that were identified and they were required to be identified in our final feasibility study was the building. And this was a really interesting opportunity for us um, in Oklahoma City because there's, um, well, market wasn't what it is today, but looking and exploring around in the building committee and their work was, it was identified um, OSU OKC. So Oklahoma State University has a campus. It is not their main campus, Mm -hmm. but they are Lane Grant University and they have a campus and location in Oklahoma City. Um, they had some additional capacity. So the president at that time, Natalie Shirley, um, actually reached out to somebody on the committee and said, I hear about the school. I hear the work that's going on. Have you guys identified a facility? And we were really at a point where a lot of things had been explored, um, but nothing had been firmed up. And not only was, that is ultimately where the school ended up. The school was founded on the campus of OSU OKC. And the really important part, you think about um, 
the building is structured exactly the way you want it. It has right. place, it has offices, it was P for perfect. But moreover, uniquely for any Christo Ray school was there had not prior to Oklahoma City's opening been a school that had already been co-located on a college campus. Yeah, that's a really cool opportunity. It was super unique. And then thinking as well around the opportunities to partner, have concurrent mm-hmm. enrollment opportunities. Sure. Um, for student, because a really important piece that I perhaps have not mentioned is that the ultimate goal for Christo Ray is, as I said, your um, the student who is recruited, who's admitted to Christo Ray, is a student for whom the opportunity otherwise is not financially available. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing that student in, often behind academically. One to two years is kind of the common or was very um, typical of a student who came to Christo Ray as a freshman, bringing them up to speed, offering them all of a very rigorous college prep education, but moreover was getting students admitted to college Mm -hmm. and then persisting through college as well. So it is very much, it was very common for us to say, once you come to Christo Ray, you're with us for eight years. (laughs) Four years of high school, and then there is, with every school, alumni support, um, all of that reach back still that continues. The Christo Ray Network has um, university partnerships that exist to create additional supports for students also. That's um, fantastic, because I know a lot, of, a lot of schools that really do focus on sort of college admissions and kind of don't think beyond that, right? They're like, well, we got them in, you know, our, our part is done. <laughs> and so that's, that's really cool to hear that you guys were thinking about how to support them beyond just high school. Exactly. They have um, a university partnership program, in fact, and one of the earliest folks who um, signed on to be part of that was Oklahoma City University. Oh, cool. um, they saw the benefits and merits and and to kind of highlight is, while that is in our backyard and we think, you know, uh, the academics and what the unique and discriminator kind of degrees and offerings that are at Oklahoma City University, mm-hmm. that's here. And they saw a connection, of course, to the students at Christopher Ray, Oklahoma City. However, mm-hmm. the 32 other schools that existed, that opens that opportunity for students from across the country. True. Come to Oklahoma City to um, benefit from that kind of partnership. That partnership, when a when a university is a partner to a Christo Ray to the Christo Ray network, that opens up additional financial support, recognizing where the student is coming from. Oftentimes, a first generation student as well, yeah. and then the financial um, burdens. Colleges is not cheap for anybody, right? But if you're <laughs> for whom, you know this maybe perhaps has not been planned, even if you planned it, it's still expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thinking about additional supports, not only um, financially, academically, social, emotional, and how does all of that get built in? So there's work around that um, as well for families, but um, fundraising was, um, you know, I mentioned earlier and used as an example, a corporate work study partner with loves, but our, feasibility study, the year-long feasibility study, um, Judy Love, who she and her husband co-founded Love's Travel Stops, uh, mm-hmm. leaned into this, and the Christopher Ray School is 
is here in Oklahoma City and is an opportunity for students. And I would, if I, if you said there's more people, but if you really wanted to point to somebody who was seminal in making this happen, it's her. Mm-hmm. Um, she chaired the feasibility study for uh, Oklahoma City, and then, like I said, has leaned in. Um, she chaired the subcommittee on fundraising with Bob Ross, who here locally runs the In As Much Foundation for us yeah. as well, and the philanthropy. Um, and the investment with a very specific return on that investment um, is, is very clear for a Krista Ray school and what it can and does for students. And I think that obviously will be proven out now with this senior class who will graduate. And I just saw something on Facebook the other day that every student who's graduating from Krista Ray this year has college acceptances. So it'll be oh, wow. as well. To- yeah, that's fantastic. Get them to and through college as well. Sure. Is the work. Um, some of the other, you know, the building, of course, is a big one to plow through. Having a job, having a corporate work study partner for every student um, mm-hmm. in a city. So we had a specific person also who, um, Regina Bircham, who um, led the corporate work study program as its founding director and identified. Um, job partners here in Oklahoma City. And again, these are professional businesses. The goal is that students are stepping into law firms. They're stepping into um, our large companies that do uh, general contracting and those sorts of things. Um, So, you know, healthcare organizations that they have the opportunity to see inside what a very professional working environment is. as a contrast to that, we've been approached to say, you know, we have, you know, fast food or something like that. That is not, um, that is not the setting and ideal. The goal is to give a Krista Ray student that professional experience that's going to tie into um, post-secondary professional degree type of positions. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a really neat story. I'm glad you told me more about that. I didn't know all of that about Chris Ray. So I appreciate knowing that too. Um, and also I was just thinking about, you know, you, you obviously mentioned that this wasn't your childhood dream to grow up and start a school and it wasn't something that you thought ahead about a lot. So now like looking back at that, are there things that you wish you would have known at the time or that would have been helpful for you if you had, if you could go back now to the beginning can you think of some things? Because for one, I have kind of a course that I offer and I'm always trying to think of things that are helpful for other entrepreneurs in the beginning of their process. So whether that's books or resources or, you know, maybe even specific networking people that you came across or found along the way, what would have been helpful for you to have had that you didn't have in the beginning? Well, um, the things I, I, I'd love to focus on, um, having the, having the, Identifying and having the folks with the experience and and um, the experience and uh, background and network um, to bring in and lean into the work in very specific areas. Yeah. Again, the Crystal Ray Network it's a it's a well oiled you know identify they know what is needed they know. Right. You know, you know, very specifically what you need to plow down and then doing that work very early around the feasibility study mm-hmm. is who will lean into that work. And, you know, I always, it was funny because I had these conversations with the folks at the network office and they would say, um, 
you know, you're going to need to get somebody to, you know, help with whatever, whatever you're going to need to identify somebody who does blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, yeah, no, we can do that's like, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. And they're like, no, you really need to start working <laughs> that. And I would say, this is Oklahoma city. This is Oklahoma city. And we are so unique here and everybody, and they'd say, I know everybody says they're unique. I'm like, no, we've, we do something very different here in Oklahoma city. Um, the, the just inherent culture of Oklahoma city where people lean in to help one another and they lend their personal networks and they open doors, uh, to make things happen. Yeah. Is like none other. And I, 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 am saying that as somebody who lived in Washington, DC, <laughs> right. <laughs> for eight years, we're try getting something done. And I'm not just talking about policymaking. I mean, that's a whole nother stratosphere in and of itself, right. but um, just the connections and thinking about linking people together. So it would be, you know, you needed somebody who knew somebody, whatever you picked up, you know, you contact somebody else. I mean, it was, I mentioned Judy Love and Bob Ross and Jean Pringle mm-hmm. founded Bank First here in Oklahoma was our board chair yeah. uh, for the three years that I was at the school. So I was there just to be clear for the two years of the, um, the one year feasibility study, we spent two years launching the school around, you know, all of the areas, hiring staff, recruiting the, um, the students who would come, mm-hmm. uh, getting the school ready and prepared so that we could open. There's a whole uh, preparation around sending students to work as well. There's two weeks of what we monikered here in Oklahoma City as success training. So many moving, every school is complex. And then we layer on this corporate work study part um, mm-hmm. on top of it. And it really gets to be something else. Um, but everybody, I mean, it was crazy how um, it got done. It would always yeah. get it would get done because it had to get done because we needed yeah. an opportunity for students and sure. open the building. But normally there is um, one year of launch. I think Aaron, probably just to share with folks, if somebody said, what was the seminal um, hardest, longest straw, biggest thing that you needed to get done, that was a challenge. And it was for us in Oklahoma city was identifying um our academic leader. And so mm-hmm. Claire Krista Ray has a unique model where they have actually a president principal model. So my role was as um, president and CEO of the school, ultimately responsible for everything, but um, particular focus on operations, development, networks, creating opportunities. And then the principal, of course, leans into everything academic and overseas. Yeah. So you think about just having usually just the principal who does all of that, um, right. the, the jobs and the connectivity piece and everything was really where, um, I would lean a lot of my efforts. So we were unable during, and right when we were getting to, you know, you get to that point, it's like, we've got to figure out what we're going to do mm-hmm. or we're going to delay. So we did not identify during the first year of our startup, our launch year one mm-hmm. of launch. Um, the academic leader that our students deserved. Um, we did not identify that person. And so a difficult decision was made because we'd also been going through and been recruiting students and we had applications and students who think that Christopher Ray is an option for them. And then we're right. saying, 
we need another year. Um, mm-hmm. That was the most difficult from a student perspective. It was difficult. It was just hard. It was yeah. just flat out hard. Um, and eventually we did identify our you know, founding principal, that academic leader. And perhaps the most interesting and fascinating thing, and I'm just... It overwhelms me today because um, at least two students come to mind, three students come to mind, who with that delay and with that postponement of our launch from what we thought was going to be one year of getting the school ready to two, Mm -hmm. there are three students who repeated their freshman year. They went ahead, did freshman year someplace else, and then said this school and and the model is so yeah. unique, and I want that for myself in my own future, that I will come back and be a freshman at Cristo. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's yeah. That says a lot about obviously the understanding of a young person and the how monumental that could be in their pathway to the future. That's really neat. Yeah. It's amazing. So then those, those three students that I'm sure you're talking about now would be seniors this year. They are. They that's are. so cool. Yeah. How neat. Get what a cool experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's so neat. And do you know, I appreciate you sharing all of that. Um, if you think of any other advice for entrepreneurs, maybe we can kind of save that for the end um, that are getting started. But also I just would love maybe just a few minutes about what you're doing now too. So the work that I'm doing now is um, helping to promote information about a state law in Oklahoma called the Lindsay Nicole Henry scholarship. And this was passed actually in 2010 And what it does is it allows a parent or guardian of a vulnerable Oklahoma child uh, in one of seven eligibility categories to make application uh, to be a Henry Scholar. And if the student is approved under the the guidelines, it allows that parent or guardian to move that child and have them attend a private school in Oklahoma. Um, There are currently 81 schools that are approved to serve Henry Scholars across the state of Oklahoma. And to give you an idea of the children who um, may qualify or be eligible to be Henry Scholars are students who have special needs or disabilities that are defined on an IEP, students who've been adopted out of foster care, students are in out-of-home placement with foster care, um, students who um, are in an out-of-home custody arrangement through the Office of Juvenile Affairs, students whose parent um, or guardian is in the military and a serviceman or woman who's moved here formally through a change of station order from out of state or out of country. If that student has an IEP, but they're new to Oklahoma, um, their parent or guardian can apply and have them be eligible as well for the Henry scholarship to attend a private school. The last eligibility area is um, a program here that Oklahoma has monikered sooner start, but it is basically the early intervention for a student with special needs or disabilities. So birth through three for sooner start um, to um, allow them they're eligible as well if they were deemed eligible for education services after they uh, turn four years old. So some early interventions like perhaps um, hearing hearing loss, hearing um, disability, for example, I've worked with a family who their daughter was served by Sooner Start. She's a Henry Scholar uh, today. They made applications. So it's a really, really, really powerful program yeah. that our state legislature passed um, a number of years ago. 
and working really to share information about it, to create awareness around the Henry Scholarship. And then moreover is to help parents and guardians navigate the application process so mm-hmm. that it is, um, you know, I answer a lot of questions um, about yeah. it. Also um, just make application yeah. so that you benefit from this. Cause once a student is approved as a Henry scholar, as long as they were the, the application is renewed every year, they can continue to be a Henry scholar until they either turn 18 years of age, they graduate from high school, or if the parent or guardian decided that they wanted them to go back to the public school and attend there. So yeah, so neat. Well, what an incredible um, body of work that you've been doing. And it's just so cool to hear everything that you've been contributing to in our state. And I'm so glad to get to know a little bit more about you. So kind of last two things, just as we wrap it up, any other advice that you have for entrepreneurs that might be thinking about starting a school or venturing into entrepreneurship and education? And then just how can someone contact you either about the Lindsay Nicole Henry scholarship, or if they have maybe questions about, you know, being an entrepreneur, it could be email or LinkedIn, just whatever you would prefer to share? Yeah. Um, Well, first and foremost, I think if somebody's thinking about starting a school is just like the work that you do, is there are um, places, there are networks, there are organizations that will help. Um, And so depending on what model someone is interested in undertaking is, please know that there are a lot of resources. And again, even to reach out to a school leader, um, yes. just as a starting point to say, That's a great, great advice. Yeah. Tell me about this. I was at a school in Newcastle, Oklahoma, Shiloh Christian Academy, and that school started, they will be year four in the fall started with 17 students. And mm-hmm. she shared with me that they're going to be over a hundred, like 115 wow. is what the estimate is. But I'm thinking about, you know, hearing her story as well. Sure. And then, you know, for somebody to reach out to that a school leader as well, who you perhaps, if you're thinking about it, are looking at, is it a faith-based school? Is it not? Is it public? Is it private? You know, what kind of complexion of that? And then mm-hmm. look for people who have, um, who have as well plowed that and more yeah. recently. Um, but yeah. And that's such a great example too of, you know, you don't, I think a lot of times people feel overwhelmed thinking you know, like Krista Ray did launch with 128 students, which is a lot, but there are obviously lots of schools out there that start with much, much less than that. Like you mentioned 17, for the one in Newcastle. So, and that's, that's very true. You can start small and grow from there. Um, so there's lots of options for you know, different types of schools and, and many of them start as those micro schools. So oh, exactly. Yeah. Sharing that. Yes. So there's definitely a lot of opportunity um, for whatever that size is. And, you know, it's funny, it reminds me um, very specifically that, um, you know, think about sending a student to work like we do at Krista Ray and their 14 and 15 year old students um, who all of a sudden are going to be going into professional work environments, like what uncharted territory. We think about what that's like to start and have a day one if you're an adult. Right. Uh, like someplace <laughs> I'm beginning work for the first, you know, you begin to like press that back as you um, go in it, you know, weeks to days turn into weeks, which turn into months and years. Yeah. You're employed someplace, but I always used to try to tell the students um, just as a reminder, because I think it's healthy and this will tie into the schools as well, I hope is um, everybody has a first day. 
Yeah. Everybody has a first day. And I would even look at them and I was like, you know, I had a first day here at Crystal Ray. We walked into Regina and I walked into an empty building, the two of us, yeah. you know, completely empty and say, you know, things have to start someplace, right? You're going to go, you're going to do that. I used to try to tell them, I was like, you know, when we go downtown and you see the Devon tower, I was like, Larry Nichols had a first day. Yeah. We forget <laughs> he didn't, that building he is didn't 50 start stories. with that tall tower. Yeah. yeah. He didn't start with 50 stories, but you know, yeah. like it's got to start someplace. And the same with a school leader, you know, if you're thinking about this and it's on your heart and it's um, something that's not going to, that's the way it was for me, um, you know, leaning into the work and doing it is yes, you're going to have a first day. Yes. It's going to be hard. Yes. You're going to have challenges. Yes. There are a ton of folks who want you to create that for students, have that opportunity, make something happen um, mm-hmm. and help you to do the work. So um, for sure. It, there's lots out here. I think Oklahoma Public School Resource Center, um, as yes. an option, you know, there's absolutely, lot. and we, they have the School Design Center, which is supporting new school startup and helping you think through all of that process. So, lots of resources, but it's always helpful to hear, you know, people's perspectives that have been there before and done that because sometimes they give me things that they found that I've never even heard of before. So, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, as far as contact, um, we have a Website, of course, for the Lindsay Nicole Henry um, page, and then my contact information is there. But real quick, I'll share the website is lnhhelp.org. So that stands for Lindsay Nicole Henry help.org, but it's the, uh, the initials lnhhelp.org. And then my email address is Renee, which is spelled R-E-N-E-E at, of course, lnhhelp.org. Org. So yeah, feel free to reach out um, if there's some way that I can help. And like I mentioned earlier, um, if I can't help, can I make a connect? Can I connect you with yeah. somebody who has the resources or experience or, um, you know, to be able to support whatever that is? Thank you, Renee. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I will put the, your email and website in the notes, the show notes as well. So that'll be there as well. But thank you so much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate your time and fascinating story and um, so great to continue and hear about the work that you're doing in the future too well thanks for the chance to visit about all of this of i appreciate it thanks Aaron. thank you